Well, we're still in the Gospel of Mark today, and we've kind of gone back from the 11th chapter where we were back into the 7th chapter. And as a little background in what was read this morning, Jesus and his disciples were walking along and they were eating their bread. They probably just pulled it out of their rucksack or whatever they had back then. And they were traveling and they were eating while they were traveling. And the, I guess you'd call them the cleanliness police were watching and they've been looking and looking. The Pharisees and the scribes have been looking for something to hang Jesus with, something to pin on him. They were just looking for a way to find fault with him and they found it. His disciples were eating with unwashed hands. And they thought, oh, this is going to turn all the people against him. And this this is where we've got it now. This is it. And so they come up and they confront him. Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And so then he takes this and he turns it around and he makes it a parable. And he says that, you know, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out. And he says it's from the heart, from inside, that the things come that make people evil. The bad things that they do. It's not a matter of uh, what's on the outside. And he really got, got on to them about how they were so concerned about getting everything just so, so religiously and uh, following all these little rules and all. And, you know, right now we can, during this COVID thing that just keeps hanging on and hanging on, we can kind of identify with those cleanliness police back then, you know, because, uh, oh man, you know, now we're so conscious of it right now. And so the thing is, is that, you know, you've heard it said that uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. The uh, scribes and Pharisees had taken a little bit further. They were saying cleanliness equals godliness. And uh, you can have everything done on the outside. You can do all the right things on the outside. And uh, if your heart's not right, Jesus tells us it's nothing. It's not the stuff on the outside. And he talks about how they make a big deal out of the traditions of men and they ignore what God has told them to do. Now, as I read this, there was this one line in here up above where he's getting on to them about being sticklers for the, their own rules and not for the things of God. He says, uh, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Have you ever pondered over that and ask yourself, have you ever spoken badly of your mother or father? Have you ever dishonored them? And uh, it says here that those that do that are worthy of to be put to death. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Pretty tough. And uh, 
anyway, and so then you read on, we'll get down to the rest of these in a little bit. But uh, the thing is, he, uh, he goes on and he talks about how they really cause difficulty for people many times, like fathers and mothers uh, that maybe need help. So oh, we can't give any help. We're giving it all to God. And so uh, the thing is, is that it's just uh, one of these things where uh, unwashed hands, uh, that's a minor thing compared to where your heart is. Now, it's true <clears throat> that godliness, especially in this day and time, it should lead to cleanliness because if you're godly, you're going to care about other people. If you're godly, you're not going to want to be passing germs. You know, you're going to want to uh, watch out for other people. And one of the ways to do that responsibly is to use hand sanitizer and stuff like that. But you can use all the hand sanitizer in the world and still be an evil person inside. So this is just it. But uh, anyway, well, you, you can see where that goes. But the thing is, he, uh, you know, I, I've seen this in churches through the years. It's incredible how sweet little church ladies can be so mean and ugly to each other uh, about our tradition and our rituals, you know, uh, uh, we don't do it like that. We do it like this and be ugly at e to each other because you're not doing things the way. But see, speaking in an ugly way to someone that God loves, instead of speaking to him in love, speaking to him in what? I mean, I wouldn't call it hate. It's not hate. It's just a matter of not thinking a lot of times, I think. I think we just people that uh, want things to be so-so in the church because they love the Lord, but then you're not loving the Lord right, and they get on to them. So anyway, but that's just, we'll just let that go at that. But this is something we're all guilty of. We can all wind up in this spot, and it can be di very disheartening if you really think about it. And he goes on and he talks about those things that make a person unclean, unacceptable before the Lord. And um, I'm just going to read through them here quickly. And I want you to do a, a checklist as we go through these. He says, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles a man or a woman. For from within, out of the heart of people, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Now, some people might, they see foolishness and they think silliness, but that's not what this is talking about. A fool, it says in scripture, says in his heart, there is no God. So foolishness is having no regard for God or man and living your life like nobody matters but you. 
So the thing is, if we really honestly look at this list, it can kill us. I know it did me at one time. I, I wound up at a point to where I finally realized that I couldn't undo any of the things that I had done. And I sure couldn't undo all the things that I had thought. And I had a dirty heart. And uh, two, two things on that. Number one, it reminded me of a story of a couple of cowboys that were riding along and a, a storm was coming up and it was bitter cold. And they, it was Sunday morning and they saw church going on. So they decided, well, we'll just go to church while this uh, is going on. And uh, one of them, uh, oh, uh, John asked Bill, said, you ever been to church before? I said, not since I was a little bitty boy. And said, well, let's just go in here and at least we can get warm. And said, okay. So they tied up their horses and they went inside. And the place was packed. And uh, and the preacher, he just really gave a scary sermon on the Ten Commandments. I mean, it just about made their eyes bug out of their head and their hair stand up because uh, he just told, he went through every one of them and uh, it was just scary. And they just sat there just frozen all the way through and they could, they were pretty warmed up. They were ready to go whenever it was over and they got back out and they got on their horses and the wind had died down a little bit and they rode along in silence for a while. And one of them said, uh, well, uh, John, I don't think we worshiped any of those graven images. That's about the only thing he could think of that maybe he hadn't done, you know. So, but anyway, if we're honest with ourselves, that's probably the way we are. And you might even throw some graven Im images in there somewhere. But uh, I was uh, teaching a Bible study uh, at South Padre Island on the beach to a, a youth group uh, from Marshall. They loved to go to Padre Island. It was a 12-hour drive, I think. We'd leave at 10 o'clock at night, and we'd get there at 10 o'clock in the morning. But uh, uh, we would get there, and we'd, uh, we did this several times while I was there. So anyway, I was doing this study. And there's this young man sitting there, and he, he's a good kid. He's a young man now that he's married and has kids, but he was such a good kid and he tried so hard. He wanted to please the Lord. And we were there where Jesus talks about if you look on someone with lust in your heart, it's like you've already committed adultery. And so I told him, if you just think about this, You've already committed adultery. You're guilty of adultery. And this 14-year-old boy goes, oh, right, because all the, it hit him. He was doomed. He had thought about it, you know. So uh, anyway, but uh, that was a good thing that he thought about it because it's, this is just it. We have all done these things. And I got to the point where I realized I had done them and I didn't know how to undo them. And so how do you do that? Jesus says you got to have a clean heart that as long as your heart is dirty, these 
evil things are going to keep on coming. So how can we ever get to where it stops? How do we get out of the evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts and covetousness and wickedness and deceit and uh, lasciviousness or sensuality and uh, envying and uh, forgetting to even think about God as we decide what we're going to do. These all come out of the heart, every one of them. And so how do you get rid of them? And how what happens in this process? That's what I want to talk to you about today quickly. And uh, there's not as many of us here as there usually are. And uh, that also reminds me of something where uh, there was a, a farm old farmer showed up for an evening service in the winter time, and it was bad, bad weather. And it's just the preacher and the farmer there. And the preacher said, "Well." Uh, they're just you and me. You think we ought to ought to have church? He said, well, preacher, whenever it's uh, snowing or something like that, and uh, not many of the cows show up for the feed, I feed the ones that show up. And uh, the preacher said, okay. So uh, the preacher just got into it, and he just really got into his sermon because he had somebody there wanting to hear him preach. And so he just, and he actually went over time. And so after it was all over, as the old farmer was leaving, he said, well, preacher, you know, I told you, I, uh, I feed the cows that show up, but I don't give them the whole load. <laughs> so, uh, but um, anyway, we, I want to go through this quickly with you this morning. I'll try not to give you the whole load, but uh, there's some things that we're going to be people that are going to be listening to this later on this week that need to hear this probably more than y'all do. But uh, anyway, so what can we do basically to be free from the penalty of sin? And there's some steps that we go through. Jesus has already shown you can be really, really religious and uh, be just as lost as all get out. And so the first thing is a condition, a recognize that something's wrong, just like that 14-year-old boy did. It hit him in the heart. He was pricked. He knew he needed to repent. He knew, and he knew that he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't stop his thoughts. So what can we do? First of all, we admit our condition, that we're just sinful people, and we have sinful hearts, and there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to fix it. We need a new heart. And how do you get a new heart? And it's not a matter of fixing up what's on the outside. I, again, something I was thinking about. Uh, uh, when I first got to the woodlands, I was getting ready to buy a car. And the pastor said, oh, don't, don't buy a car. We, what's this? Somebody in the church would give you one. I said, oh, cool. Yeah, so, uh, and sure enough, they, t- they took me out and somebody had donated a car to the church. And it was a neat car. I love big boat cars. I mean, huge cars. And this was about a, what, a 1980, would you say? Or, no, no, probably about a 76 Oldsmobile 98. I mean, it was huge. 
I loved it. It had every bell and whistle uh, that you could imagine. The only thing, and, and it, it, it just looked ugly as sin on the outside. A, the paint job was really bad on it. And, but anyway, it developed a problem and it had like 225,000 miles on it when I got it. And uh, I drove the bejabbers out of it. And uh, then it got so if you idled, it would start to smoke. And then when you took off, it would clear all the oil that had built up somewhere it was and just put out a rattling, thick, white smoke that you couldn't see through. And I was driving one day on the Southwest Freeway. So I would have been in Rosenberg at that time, I guess. But uh, I was driving along there and uh, all of a sudden there was a wreck. And you know what happens on the freeways around here when there's a wreck. Everything stopped. And so I was sitting there idling. As long as I kept moving, the car was just fine. But it's when I idled. It's, oh, no, oh, no. I'm going to blind people on the freeway. People are going to die because I'm driving this car, you know. And so I, I get to the place where uh, the policeman's there and... uh and he's directing traffic and like, there's only like one lane open and, uh, and he's directing traffic and I'm trying to ease along. So I don't, cause I knew if I, if I gave it any gas at all, it was going to you know, do its thing. Uh, and so I'm easing along and he gets impatient with me. He starts motioning me to come on, come on, come on. So I just kind of did my hands like that, gave it the gas. And just as I go by him, I remember looking into my rearview mirror and I watched him with his hands on his hips looking at me and then just disappear in that cloud. I had a car that needed to go. So I had to trade it in. Now, if I if you have a car like that, and you took it in somewhere and you told them that uh, you wanted a new car. Just imagine if you did that, had a car like mine that or you really needed a new one. And uh, they said, OK, we've got just the car for you. Come back tomorrow. We'll have it ready for you. And we, when I told them exactly what you just tell them what you want on it, exactly what color, everything. OK, we got it down just exactly the way you want this car. So you go on home, said, OK, I'll just bring my car back. No, no, you got to leave your car here. That's part of the deal. OK, so but a great price. So you come back the next day at the time they, that was appointed and say, oh, your car's not ready yet. We're working on it. They've got it back there in, uh, in, in the shop. Uh, they're, they're putting the finishing touches on it. We want it to be just exactly the way you want it. And so two hours later, here comes your new car around the corner. It's a beautiful color. And the only problem is it's your old car with a new paint job, a new, new, new seats in it. Uh, everything fixed up, gussied up, flippers on it, raccoon tails hanging on. Oh, wait a minute. They don't do the raccoon tails on uh, antennas anymore, do they? Um, anyway, all just all fixed up gloriously. The only thing is, it's your old car. 
And it's still going to put out that white smoke. It's not, it doesn't, the heart hasn't changed. You wouldn't take that car home and be so proud of your new car and keep it all shined up on the outside when the drivetrain was just pit. You wouldn't. And uh, the thing is, we need a new heart. Our old heart is like the drivetrain in my old car. It's not going to get the job done in living in the kingdom. You can't live in the kingdom and hang on to your old heart. So we recognize there's a condition. And so we next thing we do is we confess it. And then we have to repent. Uh, we have to turn around. We have to resolve in our hearts that we're not going to go that way anymore. And then, and this is something I see missing so much today. There must be contrition. I don't know how many people I've talked to, whenever they talk about their past sinful life, they laugh and brag about it. That's not contrition. Whenever you're contrite, you wish you'd never done those things. And you can't speak about those things in a flippant way because they caused Jesus to go to the cross. He paid a price for you. And you know that what you did was wrong. And so there's contrition. You don't speak with pride of those things. Listen to what the Lord says about contrition. We've said one of them this morning. The sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. If you don't want to be despised by God, you need to be contrite about your past. Psalm, 1, Psalm 57, I mean, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. The one who dwells on high also dwells with us when we have a contrite and an humble spirit before him. Isaiah 66, 2. For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Jeremiah 44.10 But they have not become contrite even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law or statutes which I have set before you and before your fathers. We need a contrite heart. We need to, until we get to where we really experience contrition, Oh, we're not going to really know transformation and we're not going to really know what it's like to have a new heart. So that's just it. We need a new heart. And so number one, condition number two, confession number three is the cure. The cure is a new heart, like a transplant, if you will. Now, the thing is, no heart transplant takes place 
without the use of blood. Have you ever thought about that? In order for you to get a new heart in the real world, blood has to be shed for you. Somebody has to share their blood with you. Jesus is the one who's given the blood for this transplant, for this new heart. Uh, We also, in Psalm 51, we saw David's prayer, Create in me a a clean heart, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Not clean up my old heart. Not gussy up my old heart. Create in me a new heart and renew a right spirit in me. Now, we've talked before about how we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. And uh, the body connects to the world. The soul connects to the body and the world, and it connects to your spirit. Your spirit connects to God. And until you're born again, your spirit is dead. And uh, your spirit comes alive. But your heart resides on the edge. I'd I'd say, if I was just going to, just thinking about it, it's kind of like it resides on the edge that is uh, right next to the spirit. Your spirit is dead. You're born again. Your spirit is made new. And something wonderful happens inside when your spirit is renewed. Your heart undergoes a tremendous metamorphosis because you see, before you're born again, your heart is, I would say, negative. There's an arrow, like if it was on a compass, it was always going to be pointing south. It was going to always be pointing toward the world. And you're going to look to the world for guidance. You're going to be looking to the world for uh, uh, for 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 instruction and for wisdom as to how to get things done in your life. And that's where you're going to look. The world and your experience without God's involvement. And so that's the way that your compass arrow in your heart points. But so you have what you'd call anyway. So the thing is, whenever you're born again, all of a sudden that arrow points north. That arrow points up instead of down. And what you've done, you've changed from one person to another in a heartbeat. There were you were one person one moment. You were that person living out of the world and for the world and getting all your affirmation and and everything uh, from from uh, the people around you and all to where your approval comes from God and your desire is to please him. We the first thing that Jesus said we need to pray is our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name until we're born again. It's going to be hallowed be my name. We're going to be the center of our world. But once we come to know him, we realize that we're nothing without him, that we only have life because of him. And it's a different world that we live in. It's the same world, but we approach it differently. We look at it differently. The cure is the cross and the blood of Jesus which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's how you get a clean heart. 
It's uh, replaced with one that has no sin. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And then we have a wonderful thing that takes place. All of a sudden, whenever that happens, there's contentment and there's peace with God. There's a shalom, a peace with our life. All of a sudden we have something we did not have before. Now, making that step is scary. I know a heart transplant is scary because until you go through it and you come out on the other side, all you're thinking is I'm going to die. You know, I mean, you just it's it's a scary, scary thing. I can remember visiting with someone that just get ready to have a heart uh, uh, bypass surgery the one of the first back in the dark ages of heart bypasses when not everybody Anyway, it was bad back then, and it was scary. And they would have to, they would stop your heart, and then they'd work, work quickly. And then they hoped that they could jump it back up off again. And the thing is, is that uh, I was there visiting with this guy. His first name was John. And uh, as I was visiting with him there in the medical center, his wife was there, and they came in early to take him for his surgery. And he got this really scared look on his face because it the reality hit him. He was getting ready to go through this. He thought he had two more hours. He couldn't believe they got to him early. But the thing is, it was scary. He came through just fine. Everything was good. But a heart transplant, I'm sure that those people have that same feeling. I hope I make it through. It's scary. Well, my goodness, it reminds me, it's a, it's a scary thing because as Reinhard, Reinhold Niebuhr says, God, Jesus calls us to come and die. And the thing is, is that uh, whenever and we do, we die to self, it says, and we live to God. There's a moment of death before the new and wonderful life comes in. And it's like you're hanging onto that limb, like in the story I've told you before, where the guy's hanging there and nobody's answering his cries and finally he calls out to God, are you? They say, yes, son, I'm here. Well, will you help me? Yes, son, let go of the limb. Anybody else out there? You know, there's some things, it's a matter of faith. If that guy's going to be saved, it's going to look like he's going to totally die. He has to let go of the limb. And that's what it's like for us whenever we finally let go of our sin and all that. And the moment we do, we find we have a different life than we had before. It's fantastic. The cure is the cross. And it is scary. And it takes total commitment. We can't have, see, you can't halfway get a new car. I mean, you know, it's either anyway. But the thing is, it takes total trust, total commitment. Like if you had bacon and eggs this morning, the chicken contributed to your breakfast. The hog was committed to it. And so this is just it. Uh, it's the whole thing. You know, like we said last week, it's chicken or feathers. It's not either. It's, it's either or. You either let go of the limb 
and fall into God's hands or you don't. And some people live just hanging on to that limb, afraid to let go. And now then, whatever you do, like I say, there's this wonderful peace that comes. But then there's a crisis. John Wesley experienced this whenever uh, he was first saved at Aldersgate. He came home and said, oh, man, I'm never going to sin again. This is fantastic. And he's like a swamper with new shoes, they say, in the oil field. Uh, He didn't want to get them wet. He didn't want to get them messed up. Our lives are like that. They're new. They're fresh. And uh, the thing is, he thought that he was never going to sin again. And then he discovered that sin was still in his life, that sin wasn't destroyed in his life. It had just been stunned for a while. And all of a sudden he discovered he had some work to do, even though he had been saved and he knew that he was saved. And so he wound up realizing just like the apostle Paul, he said, I've got this principle within me now that uh, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. And see what happens. Yes, that arrow's pointed the other way, but your soul has been trained since it was first born to cope and to handle things in certain ways. You lie in order to not hurt people's feelings, even though it offends God when you do. You don't want to hurt people's feelings, but you, there's a way to do it. You know, there's a way. And, I'm, you know, you heard the thing about whenever your, uh, your wife asks you, do these pants make me look fat? You know, you don't lie, but you don't have to say the wrong thing. You know, there's a, you just got to have wisdom. And I'm not talking about my wife right now at all. I'm, please understand, this is not about her. The thing is, is that there's a way to handle things that's honest. You don't have to live in deceit. And yet so many people have discovered that deceit is the best way to live, to keep peace. That's something that has to go, is deceit. And honesty has to replace it. But because we have learned these things, we have to start turning them over to the Lord. We've been forgiven for all of those things that have happened in the past, but there's still this, these habits, sinful habits that have to be broken. And we'll continue to come across those. I found one this past week that I have still been living with that I had to confess to God, ask his forgiveness and resolve. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so uh, you do. And so the, the thing is, there's this crisis. Even Jesus, he told his disciples, pray in the garden of Gethsemane because the spirit is willing. The arrows pointing in the right direction, but the flesh, the soul is weak. And so we live the rest of our lives giving things over to him and finding that new life that he offers to us. And every time we yield something up, it can get scary again. But once we do it, we discover a peace in that place we'd never had before. 
And so then how do you stay clean? Well, read your Bible, pray, and practice. Just like once you, if you have a heart transplant, you got a new heart. If you just sat and never did anything, uh, something probably go wrong with that one. You've got to exercise it. You've got to uh, do the right thing. You've got to live the right life to take advantage of the new heart that you're given. And so the main thing to do is keep short accounts with God. And by that, what I mean is, first of all, if there's something that you've been practicing and you didn't even realize it was wrong, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some people wonder, well, why did he put that in there? That's after you're saved. Who's going to sin after they're saved? We all do. That's just it. And it says you, but if you keep short accounts with him on those things, and then of course, whenever you catch yourself getting ready to go into a wrong mode, you catch yourself and you pray because yes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh needs training. And this is the training ground for your spirit until we meet the Lord in the air. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.